spoiler alert, there's total annihilation. Welcome to the podcast, The Book Isn't Necessarily Better, presented by the Community Library Network. I am your podcast host, Roxanne. This is Michaela. And we have a very special guest with us today, Nathan Hansen, who you may remember from his work on the Princess Bride episode of this very podcast. Happy to be back again. (laughs) Welcome back. Hello. What are we talking about today? Ready Player One. Ready Player One. Well, I am ready... To talk about this. You're ready to talk about being ready? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Tell us a little bit about it. Ready Player One is a book by Ernest Cline, and uh, it takes place in the 2040s, so about 20 years ahead of where we're at now, in a dystopian world uh, where there's an energy crisis, global warming, overpopulation, uh, social problems, economic stagnation uh, that have all led to like vast disparities between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, And so there's this protagonist, Wade Watts, and he's a high school kid who uh, is poor and he's overweight and his mother died and he lives with his aunt and what they call these, uh, the stacks, which is like this Mad Max slash (laughs) steampunk type skyscraper situation. Made of? Made of like old trailers Mm -hmm. and like just things that are cobbled together. And anyway, he, he has this really horrible real life. And he escapes into what they call the Oasis. So the Oasis is this virtual reality realm that this brilliant guy named James Halliday started in order to like help people who didn't have access to things have greater access to them and be able to kind of level the playing field a little bit. Okay, so just before Halliday's death, he puts together a challenge to capture three keys and win the rights to his estate, which is huge. And that person also gets control over the Oasis. So, so that's kind of where the whole story kicks off. Wade is what they call a gunter uh, or a, he's somebody that's going after Halliday's Easter eggs. The story follows his journey to capture these three keys and win Halliday's estate and bring himself up out of poverty, and uh, that's that's really where it's at. Several characters in it. There's uh, Wade, who's our protagonist, and then he has uh, some allies, which they call the Big Five, or the High Five, rather, uh, which would be H, Artemis, Daito, Shoto, and Wade. And then he's got some, some helpers along the way, like Ogden Morrow. But he's up against this group led by Sorrento, who is out to capture these three keys and the control of the oasis is like this corporation so it's like this this fight from this corporation with the little guy versus the little people mm-hmm. corporations versus little people who knows what's going to happen right? they got to fight the man yeah they're yeah. fighting the man <laughs> along the way halliday was this huge 80s pop culture fan so there are a ton of references to pop culture throughout this entire book there's like 43 games mentioned. Eight of them are actually played in the book. They played Galaga, Black Tiger, Dungeons of Daggerath, Joust, Pac-Man, Tempest, Zork, and Adventure in the book. Uh, there's 12 computer consoles, including Atari 2600 and the Commodore 64 that are mentioned. 55 movie references. 
including Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Blade Runner, Breakfast Club, Brazil, Excalibur, Mad Max, 39 music references, <laughs> ACDC, David Bowie, Rush, Schoolhouse Rock, Bon Jovi, Van Halen, Radiohead. There's anime references to Voltron, Cowboy Bebop, Ultraman, Speed Racer, uh, and then 36 TV shows, including one of my favorites, Firefly, The Muppet Show, Knight Rider, Simpsons, Silver Spoons, and A-Team. Sesame Street. Yep, yep. Uh, (laughs) 20 book and author references, including Kurt Vonnegut, J.R.R. Tolkien, Neil Stephenson, Stephen King, Ray Bradbury. So this book is like packed full of like all these cultural references. Out of curiosity, did you clock all of these yourself as you were going through? No, but I took note of the ones that (laughs) I like really enjoyed. Okay. But it would be a really cool experiment for somebody to go through and be like, I'm going to engage with all of these references that are there. I'm going to watch the A-Team, and I'm going to read Kurt Vonnegut, and I'm going to, you know, play some of the 43 games and just see if they can get, like, all of the references. (laughs) Right. Uh, It would be a really, really fun goal. uh, That's like a lifetime, like, bucket list thing, though, right? That would take you hundreds of hours, for sure. You could also do a similar thing with an episode of the Gilmore Girls. Oh, have you watched yes. Gilmore Girls? I'm a big Gilmore Girls fan. Yeah, they have so many literary and TV show and movie references that you could spend like yes. an entire day going through each one to like parse out all of their references. And, and you're not a Gilmore Girls fan. I've never seen it. I just feel like I missed out on an entire like piece of cultural the, knowledge here. It's one of those things where you're either a fan or you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilmore uh, head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, anyway, the... The cool thing about all these references is, like, I know I'm I'm a few years older than you guys. I'm 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 an elder millennial, 82. So depending on who you ask, I'm either a, a Gen Xer or a millennial. Oh, you're right on the cusp I'm there. Right on mm-hmm. the cusp. So like a lot of the things that they mention in here, I remember from my childhood. Like mm-hmm. okay. this this was stuff that was like going on around me. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I would saddle up and watch the A Team, and you, you know. I, <laughs> I pity the fool, all that, all that stuff. <laughs> wow. So, so like the book for me had a had had like this resonance because I've had some of the cultural experience. Sure, and I'm a '90s kid, so I the cultural references don't necessarily touch my own life. I think what I identify with in this book is more the the general nerd culture that's happening. I enjoy how nerdy he gets about certain books and films and games. That's what I appreciate about it. Oh, and he dives in deep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a total nerd book. It, yeah, absolutely. I'm a, a late 80s kid, 88, but I had four older siblings, so I always felt like I had a lot of knowledge about 80s pop culture because I was around older siblings were like, you have to watch this, you have to listen to this. Nope, you're not cool unless you, know, <laughs> you watch Dirty Dancing and so I got my 80s references that way. I mean, for me, this like really resonated. I came to this book because my son was like, Dad, you got to read this book. It's really great. And he was in like eighth grade. And I'm like, I don't want to read what an eighth grader's reading. <laughs> so like a horrible father, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll read it later. And so like two or three years down the road, I finally read this book. And I'm like, oh, my God, why did I put this off? It, it is such a great book. You know, he was into it because he's all into this gamer culture and the idea of, like, going into this world where you escape in these games and have these puzzles to solve and, and, and this quest to go on was, like, really attractive. But, like, from my perspective, this whole book is, like, a classic 
Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's the framework that really appealed to me as, as, you know, somebody who studied studied English and creative writing. I I mean, it's like point for point a hero's journey. So Mm -hmm. could you describe that for listeners? Sure. So if you're not familiar with what a hero's journey is, it's it's where you have a character that starts out in an ordinary world. And they juxtapose this ordinary world with this special world. And they enter the special world through a call to adventure. There's a refusal or a, or a rejection of that call. They meet a mentor. They cross a threshold. There's tests and allies and enemies, talismans that they gain along the way. Then there's usually an innermost cave or sanctum that they, they enter in order to confront an ordeal and get a reward and then they take the road back to the normal world, have kind of a resurrection, return with their prize and, you know, deal with it full circle. So the whole thing comes full circle back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's really the, the basic points of a hero's journey. And this book does it really well, which is awesome. You know, I mean, it's got this dystopian world, but people escape into this virtual world where you can be whatever you want to be. And then, you know, uh, he's got allies with the High Five, uh, which are his friends, H, Artemis, Daito, and Shoto. Uh, he's got enemies, which are the Sixers. He picks up a talisman, which is a Pac-Man quarter, mm-hmm. uh, which plays a, a big role in, in, in the end ordeal, uh, which is, you know, spoiler alert, there's total annihilation that he has to overcome, um, and the talisman helps him do it, which allows him to enter Holiday's room and that inter-sanctum where he gets his reward and then finally rejoins the rest of the world, which is where he meets Artemis in person at the end of the ordeal, mm-hmm. which is much different than the movie. <laughs> Very. Uh, where it really hits me over the head for the hero's journey is that Wade has an avatar in the Oasis named Parzival, which is an allusion to the Arthurian knight Percival Parzival, depending on which version you're reading who is a knight questing for the Holy Grail. Yeah. Basically, Halliday's fortune. What are some of the classic examples of a hero's journey? Hercules would be a good one. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. There's a collection of essays written by Lord Raglan and Otto Rank that kind of explores this a little bit broader. And, and the way that they go about exploring it, even stories like the story of Jesus, can fit inside this framework. And they, and they rank all these stories and, and these really great... Uh, historical figures also fit this same or similar framework of uh, the Buddha, Jesus, Hercules. They all fit within this uh, hero's journey story. It's called The Myth of the Birth of the Hero. Yeah. And I and I ran across that book like 20 years ago. <laughs> it was it was like my first in, introduction into like hero's journey. So I know a lot, a lot of people enter it through Joseph Campbell, but I came about through this back door to get to Campbell. <laughs> But, you know, in addition to, like, this hero's journey framework, it, it also uses really great use of, like, Jungian archetypes as mm-hmm. well. You know, there's the hero character and then there's shadows. So you have Wade on one side and you have the Sixers and Sorrento on the other. Um, you and have what a, are Sixers? The Sixers, okay, so the Sixers are, <laughs> like, employees of the corporation that are out to complete this task on behalf of the corporation. Worker bees. They're worker bees. The yeah. one run by Sorrento. The one run by Sorrento. Okay. So, and all I think of is the cheese brand. Sargento. <laughs> <laughs> when my husband and I are watching the movie, we're just being like, the cheese guy. Cheese guy. He's bad. <laughs> okay. 
I also think that they're, he work, the company is named Innovative Online Industries, and they call them IOI all the time. And in my brain, every time I'm reading this book, it looks like binary to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very purposefully done that way. Yeah. And, and, and even when, like, you see their logo, it, it's very, mm-hmm. like, Tolkien-esque. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is the Eye of Sauron For sure. is, is right there. <laughs> it, there's all sorts of cultural references. I have a question, Nathan. Why did you want to do Ready Player One for this podcast? Well, because I I fell in love with this book, okay? And 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 then I took and I watched the movie. <laughs> How'd that go for you? About that. They take everything about the hero's journey and the Jungian archetypes and they throw it out the window and then they turn it into a... Marvel movie where it's a try-fail cycle instead. And that really bothers me because <laughs> it was so beautifully crafted to begin with. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, it's a Spielberg movie. Like, he probably had the resources to get, like, all the rights to all these cultural references. Yeah, and, if anyone and, did, right? And, 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 <laughs> and, like, be able to tell this story in the way that it should be told from a lover of the book's perspective. And it just fell flat on face for me. It's very bad. To add some context to this, the book came out in 2011 and the mm-hmm. movie came out in 2018. And did Ernest Klein write the screenplay as well? He did. So where did he go wrong? I think one of the movie's failings is that there are things that are better suited to a book than to like a visual medium. And one of those things that rehashing tons and tons of old history and old cultural references does is not translate well to a screen. So they changed, for instance, the first challenge, which in the book is is based on the Joust, mm-hmm. the game Joust. They changed that challenge because it's not super fun to watch a guy play a video game on the big screen. That challenge is changed to like this super flashy car race that is just bad. And he's in a DeLorean. Yep, but everything about it is bad. So I thought it was fun. <laughs> okay, so my wife who didn't read the book it was like, oh, this is just like another Marvel movie. Yes. And so, yeah. full disclosure, that's where I'm coming from. I, I did not read the book. I okay. watched the movie. So, yeah, I don't have this insight. So, for me, I was like, yeah, that's kind of a fun movie. So, yeah. I want to know yeah, where it went wrong. Well, I think it also went wrong by not having the music done by John Williams. Because that probably would have helped it immensely, as it usually does for Spielberg. Yeah. I, I mean, I know you mentioned, like, being beat over the head with the cultural references. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that really irritated me was, like, have, have you guys seen the movie, uh, The Greatest Movie Ever Sold? Mm-mm. Okay. So it talks about how, like, they do product placement in movies. Mm, okay. And, and the guy gets, like, uh, mane and tail shampoo to be his first sponsor for his movie. Right. And he makes this movie and all these other sponsors glom on sure. as, as it goes along. That's the way this movie felt to me because, like, Halo never makes an appearance in the book, but it is, like, heavily... It's all over the it, movie. It's right? all over the movie. Yeah. So, like, we where, where it used to be in the book, it's 80s references. Mm-hmm. Now it's more a mismatch of whatever. Right. Is it only 80s references in the book? Not only. Not only, but, but primarily. Heavily. Yeah. And when they're making the movie, they probably thought... We need to make this appealing to Let's update for a yeah to, to zoomers and younger millennials yeah. But to me, it felt like they were like, oh hey, we could get a few bucks from Halo uh-huh. to like feature their stuff in our movies. Yeah. So let's use that synergy and put it in the movie. Right. <laughs> it just it just didn't work for me at yeah. all. 
Do you guys know the first product placement in a movie ever? No. No. So it's uh, early 30s, and it was a Marx Brother movie. I'm not sure which one, but I believe it's from 1933, and they are doing a chase on top of buildings running past billboards. And those billboards were real ads. Yeah, Mm -hmm. were real. That's great. So we've been doing that for a long time. Okay. We could stop any time now. That'd be great. (laughs) I I just think it's it's so sad when you have like this thing that you really love and you just see it morphed into something entirely different because we want to cram in stuff that doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think Frozen and the copper tone ad that's just blatantly smashed into that movie. It drives me nuts. What part? The great song with the snowman. He's singing about in summer and he walks by a beach and there's a, a sand castle shaped like the copper tone mm. girl, complete with seagull pulling at her bathing suit. Mm-hmm. I hate it. It ruins that movie. And I think, wow. I actually think Frozen is a pretty decent movie. Hate that part. Okay. <laughs> it makes me very mad. Anyhow. Well, so isn't the point that they have, like, they want to add more product placement and ads, isn't that part of the conflict, too, that if, what is it, IO? IOI. IOI, if they, if they win, then they're going to commercialize Oasis more? Oh, they want to, like, fully monetize everything in mm-hmm. it. And that's one of the reasons why the Gunters are like, no, we need to preserve this because we love this platform and, and we love the freedom that it provides. But IOI is like the greedy capitalist culture, right? Mm-hmm. That it's like, no, we need, to, we need to win this because we need to take it over and monetize every portion of it. It's this classic battle between, like, freedom and like control (laughs) (laughs) and so do you feel like that's what they did when they turned the book into the movie by putting in things like halo oh that's very meta (laughs) yeah right maybe this movie is secretly genius and we just missed it completely (laughs) who's to say yeah there's so much with it that is wrong for me Aside from throwing away the entire framework mm-hmm. that the book was built around, it felt really compressed and hurried and, and just like, they needlessly shortened names too. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So like, like Shoto. Like, oh, just becomes Show. Just, okay. And it just like really grated on me because like, <laughs> what if I just came in here and was like, what's up, Mick and Rox? Like, I'd, I'd be fine with that. You'd be yeah. fine with that. But, <laughs> I'd be okay. But like, like uh, when when you have a culture that's like based on two syllable words, you know, where you have mm-hmm. characters that represent each syllable, to just take half of that word and throw it out seems not only culturally insensitive, but is it really that much longer to say Shoto? One of the other places the movie fails for me is that it takes out the fun of like solving those puzzles and mm-hmm. replaces them with super generic quests, like. The car race for me, it's, it doesn't have any sort of cultural references. It doesn't rely on any sort of esoteric knowledge of this weird, geeky billionaire's life or pop culture. So I'm very disappointed that it takes out the fun of like you moving along with Wade as the story goes along to discover and figure out the keys. It really... Okay, so as a reader, you are also trying to solve the puzzle? Is it, you know... It's like, not so much, but you're at least following all the steps right. of... Here's how we got from point A to point B. Right. You know, it's like how you enjoy watching a game show because you're also trying to figure it out even though there's nothing in it for you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like watching Jeopardy at home by Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. But, you know, part of the way that they unveil this in the book is, like, it's always, like, these simple things. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you have to play that game on the left side instead of the right side. Oh. And, and, And so, like, it becomes these, like, simple puzzles with simple solutions that provide a depth to the story 
and, and allow you to relate to it easier. We've all been there where we have like this really tough problem and we're like, oh, it's going to require this really complex solution. And we find out that it was like something completely stupid that we just overlooked. Sure. He does find uh, that first clue is really great because Halliday does want people to have basically an even footing, which is a big thing throughout the entire novel. That first challenge basically takes place on a school where anyone can go. It's a free planet. You don't have to pay to travel. You don't have to have like super leveled up gear. Basically, any kid could get to it, which I think is such a great place to start for that sort of a quest. Well, and even the ordeals as they're trying to get to that joust game, mm-hmm. they're very simple ordeals. And, and as, as they go through them, they get everything that they need. So mm-hmm. you could literally start with nothing on the planet everybody can get to and come out as the person holding the first key. So can you still level up, the, or not level up, but could you still proceed and get the second and third key if you didn't have the same resources as, as everyone else? You could, because I think you get more resources yeah. when you get that first key. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. yeah. When you get the first key, they get like points that are deposited in their account. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin, but, essentially. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and then, like, in, in the book, Wade gets endorsement deals. Uh, so he starts endorsing products, and, and that's kind of, that, <laughs> that's part of the point uh, to the hero's journey is they, like, shun away from this quest because something else is more appealing at, at a specific point. Uh, so, so that's one of the points where he kind of moves away from this quest a little bit. Then there's, like, a little bit of a romantic interest that he has that does a similar thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but realistically, like, it all comes down to this quest. It, it is just such a great quest with so many awesome references. I was reading that apparently in the book there is a giant Easter egg for the reader to figure yeah. out. Do you know any more about that? Klein blogged it a couple months after he had released the book. And he said, there's this Easter egg, find it, and you win a DeLorean in real life, which is pretty great. So it's actually a hidden URL for anoraxalmanac.com. Anorak is his character in the Oasis, and he has this almanac that helps the Gunters find clues and things like that. So if you go to anoraxalmanac.com, there were a set of challenges. The final challenge was to set a world record on one of the classic arcade or Atari 2600 games. That's great. And it was won in 2012 by a guy named Craig Queen, who was given a DeLorean. That's great. There's also, when Ready Player Two came out, they put a treasure hunt in Roblox for all of our all of our library listeners out there. The kids here love Roblox. But those are the real life Easter egg hunts. I like that. <laughs> I, I think that's really cool, especially, I don't know, it seems, again, very meta. So my, my favorite iteration of this book, aside from reading the book and watching that horrible movie, <laughs> um, is actually listening to it as an audiobook mm-hmm. because Will Wheaton narrates this book. Will Wheaton is the guy who played Wesley Crusher on Star Trek. Like, if, if you're a sci-fi fan, <laughs> you know of Will Wheaton, and you know of his love for the genre and anything geekdom. Mm-hmm. He narrates this book, and as he's doing it, you can hear in his voice how much he loves this <laughs> book. Oh. He's even referenced in the book, so again, very great. meta, yeah. uh, because he's referencing himself in the audio. Yeah it's, yeah, it's awesome. He does the audio for Ready Player Two as well, yeah. which I listened to and hated. <laughs> See, I know Will Wheaton from Stand By Me, which is some of my favorite 80s 
pop culture, and I've been trying to get Michaela to do The Body I slash it once. It was Stay fine. By Me. <laughs> I will be very excited. Okay. So you said you didn't mm-hmm. like Ready Player Two. I abhor Ready Player Two. Okay. I book. think it's terrible. Yeah, it's a book. Are they it's going to make it into a going to be a movie? So Ready Player Two just came out like last November. Mm-hmm. So uh, we very don't want to do any spoilers for no it. No spoilers. But I will say it is a very different book yeah. from Ready Player One. Absolutely. So they already did the Hero's Quest. <laughs> so what are they going to do now? Uh, throw as many pop culture references at you without doing any character development or any real work on the story and pretend it's a real story. So it's just a word salad? Yes. Thank you. That's the exact way I would describe this book. I disagree. (laughs) Okay. I think that it became, it's an existential quest. Mm. It's not a hero's journey. (laughs) It's a philosophical one. Okay. At this point, they're exploring what this technology means and how they go about using it. I don't disagree. Okay. okay. So it's the difference between like a, a shoot 'em up movie and and the Matrix. Okay. For me. Okay. Like if you liked the existential quest portion of the Matrix, I think you would dig this book. See, I did, and I don't. But is it because you <laughs> is it because you fell in love with Keanu Reeves? Or <laughs> or, or, or I is, mean it's <laughs> let's be honest, it's probably a lot that. So so uh, another movie, like, have you guys seen I Heart Huckabees? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a, a weird meta. It's a, it's a very existential weird existential quest. I'm searching for meaning in, in what I live. Shania Twain is there. Yeah, like <laughs> lots, lots of stuff. Yeah. So if you liked that movie, I think you will like this book better. Okay. Okay. So if, if, you, if you come at it from the fact that, gosh, they've already done a hero's journey, so now what do they do? Well, I guess they can do this existential exploration of what it means to deal with this technology that they now have control over and figure out what that means. See, I think it brings up all those questions and doesn't satisfactorily answer any of them or even really satisfactorily dig into them. Has anyone ever answered an existential question? No. <laughs> here's, here's my problem. I think that this book says, here are all the ethical implications of this great grand technology, and then it is swept away by the actual mechanism of the book. So they're they're trapped. That's all I'll say about it. It's just that they're trapped within this realm, and it basically takes away any choice that they have to deal with those ethical implications. So for me, it's all null. I, I will agree with you that like some of the references in the book, they are much more beat you upside the head with it. Dude, there's yeah. too much John Hughes. Well, Ooh, John <laughs> Hughes. John I'm Hughes. interested. And, I know. <laughs> and you would be. Prince. There's too, and much, way too Prince. much Prince. Okay, so I'm not alone in thinking that this this book is pretty bad. My favorite negative review came from uh, Wired magazine, and someone said an AI could write a better book. <laughs> Which I think is the best comment that could be made about this kind of book. Mm-hmm. So I did enjoy Ready Player One more, but looking at Ready Player Two and understanding that it is a different type of book, mm-hmm. it redeems itself slightly. For me. Mm-hmm. now, Ernest Cline's <laughs> Armada. So he he wrote the book Armada, which right. is kind of a, another existential quest blended with a hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I think that did it better. Okay, okay. you know who uh, does the. The audiobook for Armada. Will Wheaton? Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, he's done lots of these and lots of Andy Weir. And Andy oh. Weir 
actually wrote like a prequel to Ready Player One that came out for the 2016 like re-release of the book and is considered canon for the series. Wow. Yeah. So I have a question. So uh, Michaela knows I do not read a ton of fiction and especially not necessarily fantasy or science fiction. Is this fantasy or science fiction? Sci-fi. This would be sci-fi. Yeah. For sure. Definitely okay. Sci-fi. Yeah. It's not easy to admit, but I really don't like epic things. My favorite kind of story <laughs> is personal, character-driven. They're having interpersonal conflicts, and okay. it's about relationships. So I, I'm not necessarily a plot-driven person. So I do still like 80s references. It, should I read Ready Player One? If not, would I then like Ready Player Two? Because that sounds more interesting to me. I would read Ready Player One. I, me too. The, the references are better in Ready Player One. And I would and enjoy that. Probably. The characters are more developed. Slightly more developed. And if you read Ready Player Two without reading Ready Player One, you wouldn't know what was going on. Right. Because like most sci-fi, it has to set up like its its own dialect and its mm-hmm. own set of rules. Before the world building. The, yeah, the world building part of it is huge. And it doesn't reintroduce you to this concept in Ready Player Two. So it would be like the time I was tricked into seeing um, the Jason Bourne movie, the third one. <laughs> Uh, I was told by my friend, ex-friend, telling that, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would totally get everything and I didn't understand a thing. I was like, why is he running? Who is Jason Bourne? What what is going on? It's like that time that I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter, but my boyfriend at the time was really into the movies, so I went and watched the sixth movie without having any sort of reference for Harry Potter whatsoever. Probably a lot like like that. that. (laughs) Do you have a similar experience? I don't hang out with sadists. Nathan does his research, you guys. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I don't know, it's it's interesting coming in in the middle of something and trying to figure it out. I don't think I have him somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably wise. Well, I, I mean, I did do, like, Lord of the Rings. I didn't go, like, back and do the Cimmerillion and stuff first. and then. I don't think you have to. I, I don't think one. you do either. So. <laughs> I really don't. I don't even think you need to read The Hobbit, quite honestly. Yeah. It wouldn't hurt, though. Uh, The Hobbit's good. (laughs) Okay, I have one point I want to bring up. Mm -hmm. Artemis, in the movie he meets, he finds out pretty much right away who she is. In the book, he doesn't find out till the very end. Till the very end. Okay, so in the book, is she still very concerned with, I don't, I'm not as I appear as an avatar? Even more so. Way more so. And and, and that's another thing that really gets me about the book versus the movie Mm -hmm. is, like, in the book, Wade Watts is, like, really overweight at one point in the book he like has to force himself to exercise just to be able to fit into his suit like i I mean he is like really overweight and so i feel like as they cast for this character they were like what's going to be more palatable to people and so they they like took this character and they made him more generic Mm -hmm. yep and, and there were a lot of people that related to Wade Watts in this book that felt really spurned and left out by the movie because right. of the way they characterized him. Like, you had a chance to represent overweight right. people and, oh, okay, guess you're not going to do it. Right. right. And they do the same thing with Artemis slash Samantha in the real world. In the book, she talks so much about how her character is, her avatar is not her and how different she is in real life. Well, you get to the end, you find out she's got this um, birthmark on her face. Like, a lot of her face has, what do you call it, a wine stain? Yeah. Port wine stain? Yeah. She has this birthmark that she's really, really embarrassed about. In the movie, they do that thing where they're like, 
this is a, a really attractive person that we're going to pretend is unattractive and say how unattractive she is, but really she's really attractive. The birthmark is like barely even there. Yeah. And it's yeah. hidden by her hair. Yeah. Yeah. So they missed a huge opportunity again to represent people who maybe have some representation problems. Yeah, when I saw the movie, I honestly thought like, okay, like being how the world works, like what if he met her and, you know, she wasn't conventionally attractive. Right. Like, honestly, it looked like she had a sunburn. It yeah, doesn't... it's nothing. ...matter. <laughs> She's still hot. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I have I have a problem with some of the, the ways they change characters. Uh-huh. Especially since it does rely so heavily on a, a problem that we have now, which is, your is your online self your real self? Right. Or is any part of that real? Right. I will say, even though, of course, it would have been great to give representation for overweight people in the movie, when I was doing research for Holes, which is going to be our other podcast, mm-hmm. is that Stanley Yelnat is also supposed to be overweight. The problem is, is that it's hard to ask a young person to gain 100 pounds, and then being that they shoot... If it's a weight loss story, it, they do scenes out of right. order, so it's hard to make that without putting them in a fat suit. It's hard to ask them to Christian bail their performances. Yes. Okay. So one, it's hard to ask them to like gain the weight and then lose it or do scenes out of order. Still I, not an excuse. I don't no. think it's an excuse <laughs> either because none of the cast in this movie was well known right. to begin with. Yeah. They could have picked... Except Mark Rylance. They, they could have picked like pretty much any actor to fill those roles, mm-hmm. which means that they could have found some representation. I think that it's it's a missed opportunity for them. And um, the love interest in the book is much more deeply explained than it is in the movie. Right. In the movie, it's like purely like a physical romance, whatever. And it's an immediate like, yeah. I met you, I'm yeah. in love with you. He it, says, I love you on the first date, which is like... <laughs> Oh, girl, run. So cringy. So in the book, they only meet in this online space. And so they don't have this physicality going on. You know, so it's based more along their personalities and how they interact with each other and what they do together, the quests that they go on. You see the relationship build instead of just, oh, we have this instantaneous relationship. Yeah. Any last questions? No. Any last thoughts, Nathan? Listen to the audio book. (laughs) <laughs> well worth it. Well, well worth the time. Listen to Will Wheaton uh, read it. You can get that audiobook along with Ready Player One and Ready Player Two at the Community Library Network. Along with the movies as well. Correct. Yeah. And Nathan, I want to thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having <laughs> me again. Glad I didn't mess it up the first time. <laughs> uh, and we are going to wrap it up, but first we're going to bring in another guest very quickly. Uh, because the three of us are not gamers, but we do have a, a youth who works here at the library, <laughs> Kyla, and and she said she would come in and give us a very short weekend update rant about yeah. how she feels about the movie. The gamer's perspective. So Kyla is joining us. Hi, Kyla. You work Hello. as a, a circulation specialist here. And Kyla, do you, would you call yourself a gamer? Yes, very heavily <laughs> so I would call myself a gamer. So, book versus a movie. What's better? What did they, what did they get right or wrong? Right. <laughs> the, book, the book was definitely better in my eyes. Um, just because I saw a lot of faults that the movie didn't have either time to explain or there were certain things where I think they would have looked different. But there was definitely parts of the movie where I was like, oh, this was definitely better than the book because there's just more 
you can see it as well. Like, I guess there's a pro and a con to that, that you can see what you can't versus what you can't see about it. So especially when it comes to gaming, gaming is such a, a visual aspect. So as a gamer, what did they get the most wrong in the movie? <laughs> oh, God. Give me some dirt. Okay, so here's the dirt. Um, this actually, this book and the movie is actually heavily, maybe not based, but definitely inspired from an actual video game that I play a lot of, and it's called VR Chat. And it's a virtual world where you have virtual models and you can do anything virtual. And one of the biggest things is that, A, he uses his real name as a username, which in, in the gaming world, you don't do that because it's so easy to find you, which explains why they were able to kill his aunt so easily. <laughs> Lessons oh, learned. Yeah. Um, another thing, his avatar, the part where he becomes famous and everybody is like, oh, his avatar is so famous. You can copy avatars in actual gaming, oh. especially in VR chat, which is kind of where it's based off. Even if he had an original copy, it's not hard to copy someone else's avatar at all. So there would already be a million Wade <laughs> Watts everywhere. Just because that's how the internet works, the only thing that would be unique to him is actually be his username. And his username, usually in most games, there's a certified number to be like, this is that person. So that would would have would have actually been like, oh, they recognize the number and his username would have been. But I get why they did it because that would be like, too complicated. Another thing, you would have seen furries in there or an anime <laughs> girl. <laughs> there is not one anime girl or one furry in that entire movie. As <laughs> someone who is on the internet. <laughs> Good point. Okay, okay so you um, have a list. Is there stuff that you yes. can hit on your list? Um, there's another thing. Um, the girl Artemis. I hated her character. Just... She was just thrown in there as a love interest. They tried to make her powerful. It just didn't work for me. Another thing about her was that the fact where she's like, uh, it's mainly the movie I have this problem. Uh, I'm so ugly. But she's like a supermodel. Yep. Like yeah. in the movie. It's like, I have a birthmark. <laughs> it's like, Let it all I out, girl. Freckles. It's just like, and as someone who games, like, I've seen my friends in real life. And <laughs> They're not supermodels. So, <laughs> and you, it's just, I get what I'm trying to go in with the beauty. Beauty and the Beast, but it, it would have been better. See, that's why I was laughing throughout the entire movie and the book. I was just like, a birthmark? A <laughs> birthmark? Like, it would have made more sense if the birthmark was, like, physically, like, altering to where it didn't yeah. look like a human face or like like a phantom of the opera situation exactly but i don't know why hollywood has this problem with making unattractive women unattractive which is a, a big problem i had uh let's see another thing uh the best <laughs> friends uh the best friend who who uh was online as a guy but then in real life was a girl yeah accurate very accurate a lot of people do that the voice mod was oh, terrible. It's, it's so bad. It's very bad. Any any gamer, I have used voice mods before, and I have also altered my voice without a voice mod, which is very easy to do, and it's easy to sound like the other gender. A lot of people do that, especially women gamers, so that they don't get harassed. So right. it's mm -hmm. it's not a a uncommon thing, but the voice mod was. You're telling me you have fully <laughs> rigged models. 
but you do not have one good voice mod. And here's the thing with the movie, they didn't have to get an actual voice modulator because it is in the future. They could have had an actual man do the voice acting and then Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. they took Lena yeah, Waite and they, they modulated her voice for the... Yes. For yeah. H. Okay. Yeah. So, but they, but they could have they could have just hired a, a voice actor and just had a male voice actor do the male parts, and then that would have been more realistic to me That's if it's set in the future. <laughs> all right. Last thoughts? What made you the most mad? Of all the things. Of all the things, it, that it was pretty much just a Sword Art Online ripoff, but for, like... Uh, it, it it was so out of touch with actual internet culture and actual gaming culture that because it was it was so like hey eighties which is fine but it it didn't I mean it had some gaming references in there like the driving backwards and speed running and stuff but it it was so out of touch with actual gaming culture like a hello fellow children yeah, <laughs> yeah. hey teens look at this cool movie. So, and as a team, that didn't work for you. No, it did okay. not work for it, me. Is it okay if I call you our youth correspondent? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, Kyla, yeah, I want to sure. thank you for being our youth correspondent. Uh, that was delightful. Was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank both Nathan and Kyla for coming on the show today. This has been The Book Isn't Necessarily Better. I am Roxanne. I'm Michaela. And our special guests, Nathan and Kyla. When Halliday dies, which is what really kicks off this whole book, he starts... Uh, I do know to Hero's Journey because okay. I did take high school English. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. okay. Before Halliday dies, he really... How do I say this? <laughs> that's why there's the magic of editing. Yeah, right? that's, that's why it's there. Oh, do you Post. know where Prince is from? No, yeah. never heard it. Before. He's from Minnesota. <laughs> Just before Halliday's death, he puts together a challenge to capture three keys and win the ru- and win. <laughs> I should not do this. We're gonna right have a great lunch. We're gonna have a great blooper reel.